That's the Mile High Hoops podcast with me, Zach By, powered by my friends at Superbook Sports. Stand up, Nuggets Nation. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hoops podcast with Zach By. Denver Sports is your home for the most Nuggets content. Now here's your host, Zach By. What is up and welcome to another edition of the Mile High Hoops podcast. As always, I am your host, Zach By, And as always, I appreciate a sliver of your busy day with me here on the podcast. Reacting to one of the most signature wins of the year. Gosh, it feels like I've said that seven, eight times this year. And every single time I have meant it this time around, a win at home against Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks on a Saturday at Ball Arena. Final score, 129 106 and a handful of takeaways we'll get to here in just a second. Um, just a heads up on to the format of today's podcast is going to be a little bit different. One, we're not going to go very long today uh, because at the time of recording, it's 10 40 on a Monday morning. And the shelf life of this podcast is not going to be very long because there's another massive game here tonight, Monday night at Ball Arena, Philadelphia 76ers coming into town, an MVP matchup. Will Embiid play or not? Uh, you'll hear uh, an exchange uh, with me. And, and I said that format's going to be a little bit different because um, just a few minutes ago, I was on the air uh, at one of the biggest uh, sports radio stations in the entire country. WIP in Philadelphia is a flat out institution out there. And I was just on their midday show with Hugh Douglas, uh, who I think you see uh, on and off TV from time to time on ESPN uh, and another guy, uh, Joe G. And we just had a good conversation about the the MVP race, the dynamic between Jokic and Embiid and even Giannis. Uh, so what we're going to do is we're going to uh, uh, just talk for a couple minutes here. And then after uh, we, we finish this very brief podcast, we're going to slap on the end of my conversation with those guys in Philly to give you maybe a, an idea of how they're thinking with their questions to me um, and how I navigate through uh, those questions about the MVP race, which I'm expecting if 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 Jokic plays well and the Nuggets win tonight, I am expecting a, a flip. Um, and I could talk about this MVP race the whole time here because and actually, let, let's let's just do that, because that's where I most organically want to go, because we have um, we have, I think, uh, Joel Embiid really campaigning for the first time this season. Really, like he has been quiet through most of the season um, because he sort of have, has campaigned in years past. And now he's sort of coming out of the woodworks uh, through a conversation with the Sham Sharanya. Um, and he's talking about basically like analytics and taking a shot at analytics. He said, quote, you can talk about analytics all you want. When you got some guys in the league, the eye test tells you that they're not good defensively. But analytics tell you they're the best defenders. That's when analytics don't make sense to me. In my opinion, it doesn't take a PhD or brain uh, surgeon level of bandwidth to know that he's taking a shot at Jokic. Now, I don't think he's taking a shot personally at Jokic. I know he has a lot of respect for the Joker and has um, waxed uh, poetically about it uh, in seasons past. Um, but I don't think it's an accident that he's shoehorning this in to a conversation with uh, just single digit games left and he's in a neck and neck race with uh, Jokic. He, he just can't help himself. And Bede can't. He's tried to stay quiet, couldn't make it through the season. Uh, he also referenced, you know, stat padding. Uh, he said, talking about the MVP race, it's coming naturally, even against the Bulls back on the 22nd of March. I could have easily stat padded if I wanted to, but I don't care. I could have easily come back in and got a triple double and make sure that I keep 
keep going after the scoring title or keep the 30 point streaks going or whatever. But I don't care. End quote. Um, I don't believe that for a second. I think he deeply cares. And here's what I'll say about that. I'm okay with that. Like the fact that Joel Embiid cares deeply about winning the MVP after finishing second two years in a row, like that's normal. I, I like again. Now, do you want to like uh, you roll your eyes at him campaigning this way? Yeah, I do personally. Um, but the fact that he wants to win this award really, really badly, I don't view as a bad thing. And I think that fans in Denver, because Jokic truly doesn't care, uh, without talking about it in the way Embiid does. Um, I think like we view it through that lens of like, oh, well, well, our guy doesn't care and their guy cares. Like, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's perfectly normal to care about who freaking wins the MVP of the NBA. Um, so I, I don't necessarily view that as a negative. I do roll my eyes at the openly campaigning, though, and taking some of those not so subliminal shots at Jokic. Um, We'll leave the rest of the MVP conversation to the uh, interview with WIP here uh, that we'll toss to in just a second. Um, I think you'll get a kick out of it, but a lot of the stuff that I want to say, I've already said this morning uh, on, on the air in Philadelphia. So I'll let that speak for itself. Um, tip of the cap to the W over the weekend uh, in a game where uh, in the first half, uh, things did not look good for Denver uh, from guarding Giannis Antetokounmpo standpoint from the bench's first stint um, standpoint was really, really bad. But I'll tell you this in terms of an overarching takeaway from that game uh, on a Saturday, I was so freaking impressed with the defensive performance in that second half against Milwaukee. The crowding of Giannis, the walling up, the, the secondary uh, uh, defenders uh, filling in the backside you know, of some of those uh, uh, defensive um, uh, uh, assignments there. I was just, I could not be more impressed considering how the first half went because Milwaukee scored like, it was like, was it 38 in the first uh, which is way too many points. Uh, it was just a high-scoring game. A lot of shot-making in that first half, so it wasn't all about bad defense. Um, and then they scored 20, so they scored 66 points in the first half. Not ideal, but the defensive effort, particularly in the third quarter, holding Milwaukee to just 19 points and offensively scoring 34, that was just, I, I thought it was uh, decided the game if you were going to isolate one quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, they were just as good. And they outscored Milwaukee a 32 to 21 in the final 12 minutes. So that third and fourth quarter really, really instills a lot of uh, hope and optimism of uh, what it could look like in the playoffs. I know, I think I know what I'm going to get in the NBA playoffs from the Nuggets offensively. Uh, they're one of the great offensive teams in the NBA. The defense has been a question mark. And you remember the conversations last year from the on-ball defense, and which isn't a good fit because Jokic isn't a great rim protector, and it just was a mess. Um, I am very encouraged by a handful of bright spots through this season, maybe chief among them Saturday's performance defensively against Milwaukee in that second half of what it could look like um, when the season, uh, when we hit the reset button uh, and, and you know, the Nuggets uh, life is on the line, uh, if you will, their basketball life is on the line, uh, if you will. Love what I saw from uh, Jokic over the weekend um, against the Bucks. Like he was the aggressive version. Like we've been talking about it, um, really 
like uh, consistently over the last I don't know month or so of you know Jokic's gears and him shifting through an NBA season, and I saw the ver- a, a version of the Joker that I wanted to see: hyper aggressive, getting to the free throw line, shot eleven free throws, made ten of them, took twenty shots. That's what I think it will take in the NBA playoffs, especially to beat a team like Milwaukee. The defensive performance on the one end from the third and fourth, and uh, Jokic's. You know, hyper aggressive version of himself. Because here's the thing Milwaukee did not send a double team at Jokic over the weekend. And what did he do? To his his food, he ate it. He didn't play with it. He dominated Brooke Lopez, who is unequivocally, really, one of the best um, front court defenders in the NBA. He's going to be on an All NBA uh, uh, a defensive or excuse me, defensive player of the year ballot. I don't know where he'll finish, but he'll be on the ballot. Uh, he's really good. All the analytics say he's even better than the raw numbers or even the eye test. Jokic just absolutely dominated him dominated. You saw post moves out the wazoo and you saw the full um, gambit and spectrum of Jokic offensively and I just love to see it. I just love to see it. And, and I want to give Jamal Murray credit, too, for showing up in a big spot, making five threes for 26 points. He was a plus 14 when he was out there to go with nine, nine assists. I thought that was just fantastic. And he got himself going early in the game. He carried the bench minutes uh, with the stagger. He carried the bench minutes very well when Jokic was on the bench, uh, especially in that third. That was just so encouraging from Jamal Murray uh, and gives me hope of what it could look like. I have questions about Jamal. We've talked about it here on the podcast. Um, can he be the second best player on a championship team? I don't know. I, I'm not one of these guys who unequivocally says yes. I don't know yet. And But I'll tell you, after Saturday's performance and knowing that um, this was, uh, you know, this was a big game. This was a, this, this was a low key, even maybe it was just bigger from a narrative standpoint than it was like utilitarian for the standings uh, standpoint. But there was a lot of eyeballs uh, on that game, and it felt it felt big. Um, it felt big, and the way that Jamal stepped up in that moment. Look, this is the number. This is the two number one seeds in the NBA, right? Number one in the East versus number one in the West. Uh, and I thought Jamal really answered uh, the bell there, and, and I liked what I saw um, from uh, from Murray. Uh, I want to get to a Michael Porter Jr. real quick. Um, the three made threes. And the 7 of 12 shooting are great. But with MPJ in this one, it was the timely nature of them. I don't think you can just look at the box score and know his impact. Michael Porter Jr. was good when it mattered the most. Seven rebounds as well for MPJ. I thought just in general, the rebounding for Denver as a group was really good. Whether you're talking about the five boards from Bruce Brown, how about Contavious Caldwell-Pope with eight rebounds? That was as good of a rebounding game as I have ever seen KCP um, play. Didn't take a three. Okay, didn't didn't take a three, got to the free throw line a little bit, knocked down uh, some shots, went four for eight. But it was his incredible championship level effort rebounding the basketball. That was so fun for me to watch. And every single one of them felt big, just massive box outs. And those those are that's 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 championship basketball uh, from KCP. So I I hope that that sort of DNA that he has comes up in spades uh, here in about a month. And we're going, man. All that um, um, 
all that fit talk that we had on the Mile High Hoops podcast. He was the great fit for this team. I hope it all just, like I said, shows up in spades uh, here uh, next month and beyond. Um, I want to give a tap to Aaron Gordon. Uh, Aaron Gordon, who I thought struggled in the first half defensively against Giannis, really improved in that second half. He sort of like reset himself. He was getting into foul trouble, but he sort of reset himself in the second half and I thought was the really a much better version of himself uh, defensively. You could draw a line at halftime for him and what his first and second half looked like uh, from a defensive standpoint. Didn't light it up uh, offensively, not worried about it. Um, That defense uh, was needed and they got it. Uh, Also, uh, Zeke Naji, effective on the glass. Uh, Christian Brown, so freaking plays so hard, so competitive, sticking his nose in there with Giannis and would challenge him. Uh, so I thought both of those guys were really good off the bench. Um, their energy is just, it's palpable. Uh, Zeke Naji and Christian Brown, those are two really young players. Uh, and I just, I love to see that effort translate into um, winning plays. Doesn't. It isn't always the case, but it was uh, on Saturday. And then one final uh, shout out to Jeff Green, who has about probably 10 different uh, 10 different like highlight level, maybe 15 different highlight level dunks. He has a lot of dunks. I'm talking highlight level sports center dunks. I got to go back and do inventory on the whole season. But that one over Giannis, I think, takes the cake. I mean, that was... That was a true poster, uh, and I just love to see it. We've talked about Jeff Green, the old, oh my gosh, he's you know turning back the hands of time. Not really. He does it like almost once a night, if not every other game. Um, and we saw it again on Saturday in just true like all-time fashion, whatever like the top 25 dunks of Jeff Green's career are, and there are a lot of them, that may be, um, that may be uh, on the list for sure, if not uh, in, in the top 10 or 15. Uh, okay. We're going to come back tomorrow and react to the game against Philly, okay? Uh, And I want to toss to... First of all, thank you for being here. Rate, subscribe, please uh, help out this podcast. It's the most organic way you can uh, grow this podcast. And we have grown uh, year over year. I'm really encouraged about that. Um, But we'll leave that where it lies for right now. We'll come back and react to the game against Philly on Tuesday morning. Uh, and right now, here's a conversation from Monday morning uh, on one of the biggest sports radio stations in the country, WIP in Philadelphia. I hope you enjoy this conversation that comes to you now. Here's Embiid. Shot clock down to five. Wants to take Jokic. Step back three. Maybe Joel's finest moment of the season. Welcome back. It is the Midday Show. Hugh Douglas, Joe Giulio, 215-592-9494. That was the last time Jokic and Embiid went head-to-head. They do it again tonight out in Denver. Who knows? Maybe an MVP is decided this evening. Let's get to our next guest. We'll go back to the phones here and, and have our discussion about Joel. But first, let's talk to Zach by 1043, the fan in Denver. He's joining us. Hugh Douglas and Joe Giulio out in Philadelphia. How you doing, Zach? Zach. I'm doing fantastic. Happy Monday, boys. Happy Looking Monday. Happy this. Monday. So, Zach, I feel like being a little hot takey right now. So, who <laughs> is the MVP going to be decided tonight between these two guys? Well, you guys got to help me. Is Joel Embiid going to play tonight? Well, of course he is. You He'll don't play. Think so? He'll yeah, play. Of course. Okay. 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 Yeah. I mean, if, if assuming assuming good health and that calf doesn't hold him out, uh, yeah, I, I do think that tonight could decide the MVP. I mean, us as people uh, have recency bias. 
You know, you think of even last year's uh, NFL MVP. It was neck and neck with Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, and Brady has a total blow-up game uh, down the stretch of the season where he throws four interceptions. Rodgers had the same game, but it came in week one, and that ended up splitting the two according to the odds uh, that Monday morning when we woke up. And despite Joel Embiid severely, severely outplaying Nikola Jokic in the last matchup, on national TV, when I think he went for 48 and 18, 47 and 18, something like that, and and just totally took over the second half of that game. I think people will remember tonight just a little bit more uh, in focus than they remembered that game uh, in January. And guys, tonight I believe that game's on NBA TV, so a lot of eyeballs are going to be on that game coast to coast. So I think it could have a heavy hand uh, on that scale in deciding the MVP. Zach, do you sense there is um, a push or a feeling that we really can't give Nikola Jokic three consecutive MVPs? Do you guys feel that out there that nationally uh, they're looking to not give the award to Jokic again? Yeah, you know, it's funny because I I, I certainly feel that. I'm the the biggest basketball guy at the station uh, and trying to explain that there is that sentiment to my co-host, uh, Brandon Stokely, saying that, hey, Stokely, look, again, human beings are voting on this thing, and it's basketball people voting on this, okay, that cast those votes with integrity and take themselves and that vote pretty seriously. They do not feel good about voting him MVP two consecutive years and going one and eight in playoff games. Now, of course, guys, context is king. Okay, Jokic's team wasn't nearly whole. No Michael Porter Jr., no Jamal Murray. Those are two max players. Like, take the two next best players off Philly and what chance do you have? It's a team sport. But that being said, again, people don't feel good about it, that you're going to put him in the same class as Larry Bird and Bill Russell uh, when he hasn't been to an NBA Finals before. The Nuggets in general have never been to an NBA Finals in their franchise history. So I think the past, is playing a role in the, in the present, even though we're supposed to have the wisdom to view the present in a total vacuum because this is a regular season award and sins of the playoff pass should not be held against Jokic in this conversation. But the fact of the matter uh, is that they will to certain voters. So, so wait a minute. You're telling me that he's probably potentially not going to win his third MVP because he hasn't made it out of the, out of the uh, first round? Basically, that's what you're saying? No, I'm saying that it bothers voters that they voted this guy for MVP in, in each of the last two years he hasn't been out of the first round. He's been to the Western Conference Finals, but you've got to go back three seasons. So I, I think it bothers voters that the guy that they're saying is the league MVP hasn't been able to advance out of the first round, and that, that just rubs people the wrong way when they're about to cast that vote for a third consecutive year, mm. I think the past is, is is a part of the present. So it does, it has nothing to do with the dad bod or, or the way that <laughs> his, the punchable face or anything like that because I, I've heard a few people say that that was the issue as well. <laughs> yeah, hey, look, this one has gotten contentious to a degree that I don't think is healthy for the sport. I mean, if you are watching Jokic, and I, I, I'm a big league pass guy. I watch MB. That guy is freaking fantastic and having what feels like a Shaquille O'Neal type of season. Uh, but Jokic, if you if you have eyes on it and you know what you're looking at, I think only maybe a healthy LeBron James completely controls a game on the offensive end the way that Jokic does. I mean, we're talking about a 50-win team with a handful of games left. He's you know averaging 25, 12, and 10. It, he averages more steals on the other end than you know All NBA defender Drew Holiday or even James Harden. 
Think about that. You guys watch Harden every night. Uh, Jokic averages more steals than Harden. And I get the frustration from fans and the way that it, 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 it sort of took a little bit of an ugly turn a couple of weeks ago. Um, but I'll say this, man. I am not in the business of pushing someone's head down to raise someone else's. We are seeing historic seasons across the NBA with Jokic, with Embiid, with Giannis at the very top. But there's three or four other guys that are having under-the-radar historic seasons. The NBA in general is crossing into new territory where we're seeing numbers that uh, we've never really seen before. So I think we're seeing and, – and, and think about this, guys. It, it wasn't too far long ago. It was like the death of the center in the NBA. The three leading vote-getters – I know Giannis isn't so much of a traditional center, but they're three centers, and they're three great players. And I think this thing could fall uh, any of three different ways, really maybe two at the top. And I think the back stretch of the season, these last seven, eight games, uh, still are being put on the scale of this really, really actually historic MVP race, probably the closest we had in about five years. We're talking to Zach by 104.3, the fan out in Denver, um, as we talk about the MVP race. And, of course, tonight, Jokic against Embiid, a uh, big game for both teams. So, Zach, how do you qu- qualify this? Because I think as when we say MVP in every sport, we all have a different meaning to that, right? Our brains go to a different area, and it's why we prop up one guy versus the other. And I'm looking at the three of them in front of me here, all their numbers. And if you, depending on what your criteria is, you could give it to either, right? Jokic has the most rebounds, the best you know, at numbers, terms of uh, percentages, shoots the highest percentage, most efficient. And Bede's got the best counting stats. Giannis, when he's played, he's played some less games, but he has the highest winning percentage when he's plays, and his team is the best. Zach, what is the, for you, forget Jokic, Giannis, and Bede, just what is the NBA MVP for you? Holy moly. I mean, what a wide-open-ended question. We could do a half-hour podcast on this. Uh, for me, I think it's who has the most direct line for their personal success that leads to team success. And, and with all three of these guys, they have a pretty strong case. And so I think I, I personally, I, I put the, like, if I were creating an MVP argument, I would think of like four legs uh, of a chair. And one of them is your success and that direct line to team success. And then I look at your stats, your raw stats. And then I'll look at your uh, advanced stats. And then I look at the eye test. And I think for those things, and particularly when the advanced stats start to come uh, into play where you look at usage rate and uh, Jokic has the bar ball far less than a lot of these guys, but produces to an even higher level. You look at on off numbers. How, uh, how does your team play when you're not out there? How does your teammates do around you? I got, I'm looking at four Denver nuggets having the most efficient seasons of their careers playing next to this guy. Um, I'm looking at just general efficiency. Think about this. You guys watch Embiid all the time. What just like I do. And B puts the ball in the hoop a lot, man. That guy is really efficient on the offensive end. Jokic is shooting nearly 10 percentage points higher. And then when you look at true shooting percentage, you're talking about someone who's shooting over 70% from the floor. Guys, we've never seen that before, like ever. And this is a non-dunker. This is a guy who might dunk one time a game. So for all of those reasons, I have Jokic as the league's MVP, number one seed in the Western Conference averaging a triple-double, like think about that statement. Jokic is averaging a triple-double for a 50-win one seed. That's a really hard uh, statement to push back on, but that doesn't mean you can't give it pushback because Embiid has been phenomenal. He's a better defender than Jokic. I give him that. 
Uh, but the full comprehensive picture, I still have Jokic's season just a bare, barely tick better than Embiid and Giannis. But I think reasonable minds truly can disagree on this one. Well, you know, I have a question for you. You know, watching as much basketball as you do, is this team, this Sixers team right now, pre- presently constructed? Do you think that they have enough to win a championship with? No. And 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 my answer to that. It has less to do about Joel Embiid and more about historically what the Sixers' second-best player looks like when everything's on the line. James and Zach Lowe did a deep dive from this from ESPN, did a deep dive of all the high-leverage moments of James Harden's entire career. He is arguably the worst version of himself the higher the leverage moment gets. And I I would be deeply concerned about that if I'm a Sixers fan. I like the Sixers. Take away October, and they're probably the best team in the NBA. Uh, but I question when the slate gets wiped clean and the whole world is watching who James Harden is in those moments. And then conversely, let me put the sh- uh, shoe on the other foot, fellas. Mm. I'm deeply concerned about the Nuggets. Is Jamal Murray the second-best player on a title team? I know the history of this league. Your second-best player on a title team is at bare minimum at bare minimum, an all-NBA player, if not a Hall of Famer. And, fellas, three out of four times, your second-best player on a title team is, in fact, a Hall of Famer. Their names are Chris Bosh or Dwayne Wade and Pau Gasol or Kobe Bryant in the early 2000s, whoever was Robin that year for Tim Duncan, whether it was David Robinson or Kawhi Leonard or Manu or Parker. Like, you go through the history of this league, you need top-tier blue-blood talent uh, at your core, Jamal Murray's never made an all-star game. So I had serious questions about Denver's championship profile the same way that I have questions about Philly's profile. Zach, great stuff, man. We appreciate it. Tonight's going to be fun. Sixers and the Nuggets out west tonight. Zach, appreciate it. We'll, we'll chat again soon. Thank you. Have a good one. Okay. Okay. So- Thank you for tuning into the Mile High Hoops podcast powered by Superbook Sports. Until next time.